Everybody loves McDonald's fries. So, yes, you accused your mom of stealing some of your fries on the way home. Um, but the bag did feel a little light. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Planning a wedding can be intimidating, but finding the perfect suit shouldn't be. Indochino makes it easy to get a fully customized suit right from home. With dozens of high thread count fabrics, patterns, and colors to choose from, Indochino lets you fine-tune every detail and design a suit tailored perfectly to your body and your personality. Set up your measurement profile on Indochino's website and choose fabric and customizations without leaving the house. Or book a showroom appointment and let Indochino's dedicated style guides help you and your wedding party look flawless for the big day. Their experts have been dressing grooms and groomsmen since 2007. And with suits starting at just $4.99 and fitted shirts at $89, Indochino is bespoke without the premium price tag. Get a wedding suit as unique as you with Indochino. Go to Indochino.com and use code PODCAST to get 10% off any purchase of $3.99 or more. That's I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O.com, promo code PODCAST. What's up, y'all? It's your boy David with Blackwell Renaissance, and I'm here today to tell you guys about Anchor. If you haven't heard of Anchor, it's the best place to make a podcast. Anchor is a free app that has creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast straight from your phone. Anchor also distributes your podcast across all major platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and many others. You can also make money on your podcast with Anchor with no minimum listenership. Anchor is everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So if you're looking to get started on your own podcast, download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm. Are you looking to sell or buy your home or looking for an investment property? Look no further. BlackWealthRenaissance.com offers a free realtor directory with realtors located across the country to help you meet your goals. Just go to BlackWealthRenaissance.com and select Realtor Directory under Resources. That's BlackWealthRenaissance.com and select Realtor Directory under Resources. Thank you for listening to the Black Wealth Renaissance Podcast. Our goal of this podcast is to normalize black wealth and share helpful resources and tips we believe will be useful in attaining and maintaining generational wealth. Please feel free to rate, review, and comment on our podcast. We would love to hear feedback from you guys. Now, let's get into the show. Welcome to episode 12 of the Black Wealth Renaissance Podcast. On this episode, we talk to Mr. Charles Oglesby, a.k.a. Ty Millionaire, a lawyer and professional investor from Southern California. Mr. Oglesby is the founder and director of Tide Capital LLC, Tide Acquisitions, and the Tide Capital Investment Club, a platform which allows its members to invest in stocks as a group to increase buying power by helping its members learn and grow as investors through group discussion. Charles is also the creator of Blacker Pockets, an online real estate investment community that encourages African Americans to invest in real estate in their neighborhoods as a means to build generational wealth and stop gentrification. In addition to all of this, he is also the host of the Tide Capital Millionaire podcast, in which he interviews successful black business owners and investors who provide valuable examples and knowledge from their experiences to help others succeed. A firm believer in the importance of teamwork and group economics as vehicles to help you reach your goals faster, 
Mr. Oglesby truly embodies the spirit of the Black Wolf Renaissance, providing many with free educational resources as well as several paid-for courses. You can check out all of the great work he's doing at www.capitaltide.com. Now, without further delay, let's get into the episode. What's going on, guys? Happy to be here, man. Happy to be here. Happy to see the work you guys are doing. Much needed. Have you here, bro? Man, we appreciate you getting on. Yeah. I'm not sure if you know this, man, but like you real, you've been real integral to this, real indirectly, even if you didn't know. Like <laughs> the podcast, like kind of sparked part of this. That's cool. That's cool. That's always been the goal. I told people, like, man, I I've been on Twitter, been on Facebook, been on Instagram, talking about what can be done, and so many people would say, "Oh, you can't do it. It's not possible." Don't you know what happened to us? And so I had to go find people who had already done it, who had the same history, who had the same ancestors, who had the same skin color, who did it. So yeah, it's cool that it's, it's actually been inspiring people through what I was planning to do with it. Oh yeah, man, definitely, bro. Um, well, can you just like tell the people who you are, give them a little background about who you are, um, how you became, how you got the moniker Todd Millie, everything? <laughs> Man, so I always tell people that my names are aspirational because I feel like names matter, man. And and, and you've seen it. You've seen people who, a lot of people who, who come from Africa, they're given these powerful names and you tend to live up to what you're called. And so when I was in law school, my name was Hunter Todd Law. Man, I got to go way, way back. So actually what I'll do is because I mean the name I'm gonna explain the name and I'll explain why I'm all that good stuff so yeah the name is actually kind of silly we went to Las Vegas once and you know when you go out of town you kind of change your name yeah and so <laughs> I went out and we it was like me four or five of my friends from uh, from college he changed his name to like Stacy another dude changed his name to like something crazy and I was like I'm, I'm gonna go by uh, Hunter Todd and so I was just running around my name is Hunter Todd telling all the girls my name was Hunter Todd and I just kind of held on to it for a while. And then I decided to um, start a, a necktie company at one point in time. And the reason why I wanted to start a necktie company is because I'd read the story of Ralph Lauren and I found out that he started off selling neckties. And so from there, I had this company called Hunter Todd Neckwear. And I ran it. And there's some kind of gems that kind of stem from that experience. But I ran that and then I dropped it and I just kind of held on to the Hunter Todd name. I went to law school and I changed my name to Hunter Todd Law because the goal was just to get through law school. That was a grind in itself. After I got through law school, I was like, well, what's the next goal? I was like, the next goal was to become a millionaire. So I started calling myself Todd Millionaire as like tracking towards that goal. And the crazy thing is it's, it's actually kind of working. And I find like what you call yourself is what you track towards. Um, so I just kind of been running with that. Some people get attached to it. They think, oh, oh, this guy's rich. He must have all the answers. It's like, I'm not like rich yet. I'm on the way to getting rich. But calling myself that, I think, forces me to overlook small money. I'm not over here chasing hundreds, thousands. I'm looking at big deals. I'm looking long term, looking towards actual millionaire legacy numbers. So, I mean, that's like the inception of the name, who I am. Um, I'm a background in finance. I'm an undergrad degree in finance. Um, I have a background in financial advising, Series 7, Series 66 license. Um, I worked in private banking as well as financial advising. And then from law school, I went to start working for a private family office. And uh, now I uh, work in personal injury law and then build my own company on the side. That's dope, that's dope bro. That's, that's dope. Cool, 
I really like the uh, got the, the name landlord part. If you mug with you, I see. It. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to uh, that's Kendra stuff, right? That's Kendra. Yep, key resource. But man, you said something that I really like that I really want to touch on was that that name thing, bro. Because I really believe that, like, that's really something that's major. And you gotta you gotta refer to yourself in a way that you going that's gonna make you feel like you are you already own it. And I like that you said that because a lot of people discount that. We always talk about the power of your words and like how it plays a role in your thoughts and actions. And that's that's major that you just said that. And the cool thing is that's how people refer to me too. So people are calling me Millie. People are calling me millionaire. So it's like I'm always hearing it, always seeing it, and just tracking towards it. And like it's actually making you reflect like it's gotta happen now. Exactly. Yeah, it's a sense of encouragement. It's like a right. old sweet. You're like tricking right. your brain to thinking that it's already here. So I really like that. I actually did the same thing on my Instagram and my Twitter. I changed both of my names to like the real estate titan. I know I'm not a real estate titan yet, but eventually I'm going to get there. We right. work on it. Let's say it like that. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And it's it's like every time you see it, it challenges you to do more. So, I mean, every time I log on and I see Top Millionaire, I know I need to be doing something to get to millions. I need to be doing something to get to it, whether it's Monday, Sunday morning at 7 o'clock, whether it's Sunday night at, or last night at midnight. I got to be doing something to push towards that goal. And the same is true in, in like the opposite. And that's why I, I haven't really been big on using the N word like at all. But it's like, if you were constantly speaking negative about yourself, you're pushing yourself down. You're pushing others down by calling them negative things. And so for me, it's, that's one thing I picked up from Jay Morrison. I mean, and a lot of it is kind of the Jay Morrison principle as well, because I know he, I think it was either him or uh, his protege. And he said that he changed his name to the real estate king before he was the real estate king. He started doing deals, getting stuff done. And, and so it works. And I think that more people should work on elevating ourselves with our words as opposed to pushing down ourselves with the words because we're seeing that it works. And I always tell people like, whether you know it or not, what you listen to, what you watch, what you consume, the people you hang around with, it's all gonna impact where you end up in life. So it'd be nice to say, oh, it's just entertainment. Oh, it's just words like, nah, bro, like, Look at the condition of the community. Like that is the result of everything we're digesting. It's not just, it, it didn't come from happenstance. It came through what we listen to, what we hear, what we're speaking. Cause that, that's what directs your subconscious and that's what directs your actions. Especially like with the music, like a lot of people just listen to people who live the flashy, glamorous lifestyle. And that's why they're stuck in a consumer mindset because that's right. all they know. Right. That's who they look up to. So. Spend a check that, and get yeah, it right back that's, type stuff. That's yeah. all you're going to get. But how you getting your check right back? By working another 40 hours. When something happens to your kitchen, you might say, This is ludicrous. But that won't fix your home. That will only get you the rapper, Ludicrous. Having trouble? Don't panic. Don't be alarmed. You need to file a claim? Holla at State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. That's right. You can file a claim on the app or call us. Thanks, Mr. Chris. No matter how ludicrous the situation, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois. I'm at a point now where, and maybe it's because I'm a little bit older, but I was like, you know, all that stuff that rappers do, that's just not for me. Like, yeah, you you guys don't, cause I, was, I was thinking about that one line where Meek Mills was talking about some, some jeans called a Mary's. And I looked those up, they're like $800 jeans. 
And I was like, maybe that's that's Meek Mill. Like he can he can wear a Mary's. Like it's not because I feel like so many of our young people get caught up chasing that. They yeah. chase the get it now, get it fast, get it young, and they don't realize like, bro, it's kind of cool to make money in your thirties and your forties. It's cool to be rich in your fifties, and everybody wants it young, fast, so they can look like rappers. And so we chase it. People do really silly things in their young age instead of just being patient, working the process, getting the skill set, getting the experience, and say, you know what? I might not be rich at 25, but at 35, I'm gonna be set. At 45, I'll be set. And what you don't realize is like, you just gotta get to it. All right, we didn't, we, a lot of us don't like generational wealth, not because our grandparents didn't get it when they were young, they didn't get it at all. So if your grandparents would've got it at 70, you'd still be set. And if you're thinking that way, if you're thinking generational, then it works. So it's like, you don't gotta get it young, you just gotta get it. There's a uh, there's actually a verse from uh, Rick Ross that I wanted to mention. I know we were talking about rappers, um, and it's off of Hard Piano with Pusha T. And it's talking about how his money's long register and how your money is gone every other month. Um, I understand that we shouldn't listen to rappers that like just talk about flashiness and uh, they're just working on uh, getting just getting the bag right now. Uh, but people like Rick Ross are the ones we sh- we. Don't, I would support listening to because he's gonna he's teaching you how to invest he's teaching you right. how to keep your money long term and not working just to buy a new car a new house and I wouldn't even say not to listen to the rappers that flash you just need to know how to separate what's real and what's realistic from your current situation you can't be out here going by true religion jeans if you making five hundred dollars every two weeks, that's not realistic. That does not work. Or you spent your month's paycheck on a pair of jeans. Yeah, like that. That's crazy to me. Like, because music is fun. Like, that's why people like music. Like, it's rhythmic. It, it gets you going. Our body is has it has a natural inclination. Uh, inclination just to music and rhythms. Like, it's it's no other way around it. But you just need to know how to separate yourself from those two things. And there's different levels of rap. So, I mean, you have like, you have the the just 100% degrading music. And then you have like what I call net worth rap. And net worth rap, I listen to a lot of currency. Of course, listen to a lot of Nipsey Hustle, Listen to a lot of Jay-Z. Listen to a lot of Rick Ross. Listen to the business-minded rappers who are talking ownership, talking investing, talking making money. Like, I'll, don't get it confused. Like, I want nice stuff. Like, <laughs> I want the Lambo. I want the Rolex. I want all that nice stuff, but I'm realizing that that stuff will come. But I'm also like, like a lot of that Jay-Z is the stuff that gets me hype. A lot of the Jay-Z is the stuff, is the reason why we're chasing what we're chasing. I started looking, listening to a lot of old Jay-Z. I was like, like we, we've been talking about 444 Jay-Z, but he's been talking that talk. Forever. Yeah, so. And you listen to Currency, so shout out. That's yeah. my dog. That's one of my favorite rappers, bro. I, I feel like he's probably, I like Currency because of the content of his bars, but like he's always been about ownership. And if you study him, you see that you don't need a label to live that life. He lives that life, he doesn't have a label, he didn't get a check, um, and he's and he just, and one, one thing that's really cool is he shows you how to do it, because a lot of people think that you can follow the traditional model and make it as an independent artist. A lot of people think that you can, and it applies to business as well. Maybe you can't follow the traditional series seven model and make it successful on your own. And that's one thing I've applied is like, when I was working in financial advising, we could only work with people who had certain minimums. We could only work with people who had certain net worth. And I realized like, bro, like I went to college, got all this education, 
And you mean I want to use my education to make the rich richer? You can use your education for whatever you want to use it for. You can use it to help them, or you can use it to help your community. And I feel like so many of us are so caught up in renting to running to their community, increasing that gap between their community and our community. We need to circle back, use that same knowledge, that same education, the same experience, the same drive and hustle to making your community. It just might look different. And so for me, it does look different. I'm not making a commission off of what I sell you. And I'm also not trying to just get these huge lump sums. I'm not going about after, after people who are retired, who have millions already. I'm going after people who want millions. So we're working with them at 100, 500, 1,000 and building up. And so now there are people who have equity in these assets that they would never have equity in assets with because they don't want them to be individuals. And I'm saying, hey, we can, you can be an individual over there or we can come together. And so I think that's why building your own, choosing yourself, it allows you to apply that creativity to your community that then allows it to elevate. And that's what Currency does. He drops an album like every other month, always hitting you over the head with music. Last year he was dropping them every month, like two weeks apart. I'm just like, man, I can't even keep up with this dude. But so dope. And if you meet him in person, because I've met met him in person, like he's so humble, so down to earth too. It's just like, he's actually, he. Like you said, he lives what he's what he raps about. Like yeah. it's none of that BS, none of that fluff or whatever that I'm too yeah. big to talk to you or whatever. After his show, he jump off in the crowd, he gonna walk dap everybody up and jump in his Rari and shoot out. Like that's <laughs> him. Yeah. I met Nipsey um about maybe six months ago. And like anybody who asked for a picture, he was like, Yeah, cool, let's do it. Yeah, cool, let's do it. And like that's what resonates with me about Nipsey. It's like, yeah, the content is so dope. Like, I get inspired by it. I learn from it. I can share it and inspire others through it. But it's like when you become the person who owns your own brand, you do have to be more personable. You do have to be more likable. You have to touch the people. You have to touch the community. And I think that's so much more important than have these lofty celebrities that nobody can touch because they've been promoted there that, like, you, you create this gap where unless you're promoted by somebody else that you can't get there, so you're dependent upon somebody else. And I don't ever want anybody to be able to determine whether I can get to the top or not, except for the people, because at, at the end of the day, it's the people anyway. It's the people buying the tapes, it's the people going to the concerts. And so we, we are putting an artificial middleman where there shouldn't be a middleman. And that's true in your job, that's true in your business, that's true anywhere. It's like, you just gotta break down the wall of the middleman and 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 unlock that wealth, but also unlock the creativity that's gonna allow you to truly serve your community, not just give them some stuff that somebody said is approved for your community. Made me think about something I seen you say is uh your job serves you, but your business serves your community. Facts. It's all facts, man. In so many different ways, man. Um I always tell people. It's like if you're a professional and you have a job, your job gets you a paycheck. Your job advances you in your career as you move up in the ladder. But if you have a business, my business cannot be successful without improving my community, period. If they aren't financially literate, if they aren't have, if they don't have the mindset of an investor, if they aren't willing to defer gratification, if they aren't willing to do all those different things, my business can't win. So I'm improving people. But not only that, I'm also bringing people in to help run the business. And so I have a president of Tide Capital Investment Club. I have a president of the barbershop. I have a president of the Tide Acquisitions um, function. And so not only am I making money for myself 
educating the community. I'm also creating executive positions for people to step into where they have leadership positions, where they have positions that are of stature so that it's not just, it's, it's like it, it, the business, I have this quote, it's like, you gotta solve every problem with business. And the thing about it is, it's so multifaceted that they don't even want you to focus on building your own business. Because if you were to truly focus on building your own business, you could literally solve every problem in your community. It's like, oh, you know what? Those yards look really bad. We got to start a lawn care company. Oh, these homes are really bad. We got to start a construction company. But what happens is it's not just the company and the business. Now you're teaching people skills. Now you are putting, making people productive. And you're doing it all while actually improving the community. So if we focus on that, instead of focusing on pointing out the problem all the time and focus on solving the problem, we would be a lot better off because every business is just a, 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 is something that's solving a problem. So much so that people will literally create problems just to get paid to solve them. And so they're over here creating these illnesses. They're over here creating these, um, I can't think of any like, like kind of like uh, planned obsolescence. So you have a, a product that they're planning for it to already stop working. So then they can say, oh, well, we got a new product for you, brother. They just say right. my phone. <laughs> yeah. I think you brought up a good a good point. Um, uh, something that's big is like, is when you're starting your own business, you got to provide value. You know, you got to provide value for your business and, and to provide value for your community. Uh, not focusing so much on the making of the money so much all the time, but focusing on providing value so you can actually grow. Absolutely. Um, it's kind of like two things. You gotta, there's there's people who, so it's like you can chase money or you can provide value. You gotta kind of do a combination of both. But I found that for one, we have a community that doesn't have a lot of value but we have people who aren't willing to provide the value. So how do you create the value? You create the value by providing the value. And so for me, that looks a lot of ways. That looks like the investment club, that looks like the podcast, it looks like the blog, it looks like the social media, that looks like um, doing meetups, it looks like all these different things coming on other people's shows. And what happens is as you provide value, it's like an investment, you're building equity. And so you, you might not look like you're making money now, but you get to cash out on that equity in the back end. It's like Nipsey Hussle says, he's like, they're gonna give you that check up front and make the money on the back end. And I already know the back end money is going to come and it is coming in a lot of ways. Yep. Make a lot of, I like, and it's like, you make money. Basically, I, a long time ago, I listened to this podcast by Eric Thomas and he was saying, how to get rich or die, die trying. And the, the three things he said is you gotta discover your gift, you gotta refine your gift, you gotta give your gift away. And what he did is he gave his gift away by doing the Thank God It's Monday um, every single week, which created a name for himself. And if you look at almost anybody, and I was telling them this yesterday, I was like, I don't do this for nothing. Like Nipsey says, I don't do this for nothing. There is, we're building, I'm building a brand equity. You're building brand equity. You guys are building your brand out. So it might look like you're working for free and doing a podcast for free, but now you're getting paid for this. Your kids' kids are getting paid for this because you're building something that people can ref refer to. You're building something that people are going to give you a name from. All the exposure, all the contacts that you're making. Like for me, the podcast service is networking. So every single person that's been on my show is like my friend now. And so you got to provide value, but you got to realize like you're not losing. And so people, they'll sit on their gift. And I always tell people like, if you're starting a business and you don't have any customers, I'm sorry to tell you, but your value is zero. 
your value, your value is zero until you prove otherwise, until you have so much demand that you've got to start increasing your price. And I think that that is what would drive your price is the demand for your services. If there's no demand, your value is zero. And so you just got to give and you're not losing. Every single successful person does it. Grant Cardone does it, Gary Vee does it. If you go to the store, they're giving out free samples, they're giving out coupons, they're doing sales. And so I think that we have to really adjust our mindset on business. So many people think that business is just get money. Like, no, it's not get money, it's give value and get the money on the back end. So it's like, don't be afraid to add value to your community. Don't be afraid to give to your community, to educate your community. For me, I feel like I said, if if more people know how to do what I do, there's more people who can do business with me and then I can make more money. I like that, bro. So, so we do have a question for you, man. Yeah. Uh, we want to know how you got you starting like real estate. That's I'm actually glad you asked that question um, because it wasn't as quick as people would think. I want to say that we got interested in investing in real estate. I was in law school and I was trying to do it the traditional route. And so what I did is, I mean, everybody reads Rich Dad Poor Dad, everybody does that stuff. Um, and so I came across this other book called Investing in Real Estate. I forget the author's name. I'm a voracious reader. I read a lot of books, a lot of books. Um, and so I contacted my friend who was in law school as well and she was a realtor. But I was working part-time if that, cause I mean, law school, you're not supposed to work at all, but I was still kind of working part-time. And so I told her, I was like, hey, I'm trying to buy a property. I need to get a prequal. She got me a prequal, started licking at holes in the area in California. And the home that we wanted to buy was very affordable. It was like a $50,000 condo. The neighborhood was crap. It was a very, very dangerous neighborhood. <laughs> I mean, $50,000 in California, that's what you can yeah. expect. Yeah. And so I put in the offer and when I put in the offer, the owner told me that I couldn't use a loan to buy a property because in that community, there's more than 50% of people who are renters and not owners and FHA won't fund a loan in that community. You have to go conventional or you have to pay cash. And so for me, I learned a lot in that. I le one of the things, one of the things I learned in that that I still kind of like upset about today is there's another home in that community that, where there was a murder that took place on the front steps. And on my podcast, I interviewed somebody named Al Williamson. He's a very successful um, African American real estate investor, and so I was kind of like being mentored by him at the time. And I said, "Hey, this house has a murder on the front on the front steps. What do you think? Should we do it? Should we avoid it?" He's like, "That's it. That's the house you want, man." And I was like, that's the house we want. He's like, yeah, that's the house you want. And I look back and I'm like, you know, in the moment when a murder took place on that front steps, that means like avoid, avoid. But like two years, three years, nobody's thinking about that murder. Nobody's thinking about that stuff. And so you could have gotten a great deal just by being the person that has the balls to step in where other people are not wanting to step in. And that's a lot of what real estate investing is when done right. A lot of people can invest at the top. A lot of people can invest where everybody else is investing, where it makes sense, where it's sexy, but you don't make money like that. In fact, you lose a lot of money like that. So from there, I had a conversation with the broker and she was like, hey, just put together like five people with 10 grand and make it happen. So I put out this word and I said, hey, we're gonna buy this property as a group. What do you guys wanna do? And I had a bunch of people show up not a lot of people put the money up and so we ended up losing that deal and uh so we kind of killed off the real estate investing for a while got out of law school and then uh, the mike brown incident happened and all those killings happened and i was like man like 
every time something like this happens, we always say it's because we lack economic value, we lack, we lack an economic base, there's poverty in the community, so why don't we do something to change that? And so I said, let's start a stock investment club. And so I started this stock investment club. It was just, the interest was crazy. Um, it's so crazy now that like, and this is it's kind of like it speaks to what I was talking about earlier. It's so crazy now that we have 300 members who've capped it, but everybody still wants to get in. And so now it's like, all right, bro, you can't get in unless you're going to pay five, 10 bucks a month. And so now we have this huge pool of people that pays us five, 10 bucks a month because the demand created, the, the demand necessitated, necessitated <coughs> us to start charging for it. And so from there, we did that for a year, two years. We got a great return on investment. We ended up getting like 47%. But what I tell people is the investment club experience, while not real estate related, it gave people the ability to trust me. They gave people the ability to know that I can work with high capital and he's not going to run off to Jamaica with my money because we manage a lot of money for a lot of people. We're ultra transparent. We have monthly meetings, sometimes more often than a month. Um, we make sure everybody can view what they're viewing. And so it really... I tell people there's no such thing as useless experience. It all works together. And so that experience allowed me to then launch Tide Acquisitions. Tide Acquisitions, we started looking around the country because I live in California. You can't really buy anything in California. But I didn't let that stop me. I was like, where, what is the market that I can afford to buy in? Where can we afford to buy something? It doesn't have to be the prettiest thing. It just has to cash flow. And so we looked in Atlanta. Atlanta was getting a little bit too hot just because everybody was trying to get in there for the Super Bowl stadium and all that stuff. Yeah. And so I was like, you know what? It's too hot. Let's just find a market where it's not too hot. Let's find a market that still has value. And we ended up landing in the Midwest because I had interviewed Sterling Smith and or yeah, Sterling Smith. And he was buying a bunch of properties in Indianapolis for like 15 grand. I was like, I need some $15,000 properties, man. And so we went, ended up in Michigan. Our first property cost us $17,000 cash, and it was turnkey. It rents for $725 a month. So if you do the math, it's about a 50% ROI. So you bought it 17 flat, did nothing, and just put a tenant in. All. Right, because everybody was scared. Everybody was like, oh, I don't want to do construction. I don't want to do rehab. I don't want to do any of that stuff. They're like, we're just new investors. Let's buy something that we can put a tenant in. So the first property literally only required we clean the carpet that is it we clean the carpet sent to some guys to move out the old junk and put it a tenant put a tenant in there hey, that's great that's how we got started um and just to piggyback off of that like how do you make it work with you being across the com the country like because i listen to your podcast too so i hear that you're doing deals in detroit or whatever so how do you make it work whenever you're in California and you got properties being bought here or there? How do you make sure people are doing what they need to be doing? How do you find your contractors and stuff like that? Mm -hmm. So you learn to get things done through people, but you also learn that you need a lot of people. So um, I mean, the cool thing about what we do is since we have an investment club, I have people all across the country. So there's people in our club who live in Detroit who live in Atlanta, who live in Baltimore, who live in Philadelphia, who live in Texas, who live in wherever else. Pretty much anywhere you could think of, we have people. Hey there, ever thought about what makes your heart beat a little faster? Oh, you mean like when you discover a new track that just speaks to you? Yeah, or finding a movie that you can't stop thinking about? Well, get ready to feel that excitement all over again because Amazon Prime is here to take your entertainment and shopping experience to the next level. Absolutely. Prime isn't just about getting your packages quicker. It's about diving into a world of endless possibilities. From the latest releases 
So exclusive content you won't find anywhere else. And don't even get me started on the music. Prime offers concert specials that will transport you right to the front room. It's like being at the hottest gigs without leaving your living room. I use Prime to tap in with some of my favorite artists' live shows from any and every genre of music. Trust me, Prime is a game changer. It's like having a personalized superstore and entertainment hub right at your fingertips. So why wait? Head over to Amazon.com forward slash Prime and start experiencing entertainment like never before. So you really got to learn to be the CEO. I didn't really see myself as a CEO until I started doing this long distance real estate stuff because I literally like an example is we were getting the door guards taken off one of our properties. And if I didn't have somebody at that house to put the doors up, as soon as those door guards came off, we literally would have a house that's fully renovated, but has no doors. <laughs> and so I had to get on the phone. I had to get urgent. I had to make it happen. And so I called the contractor. I was like, hey, I need somebody at the house in 30 minutes. He's like, cool, I'm there. And so we got there, got the doors up, and then we salvaged that. So you have to get really good at And that's the true essence of being a CEO. And I tell people, I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with the company Blackstone, BlackRock. They own assets all across the country. Like there's this massive private equity fund that invests in uh, actual existing businesses, and they also invest in real estate. But I was thinking, I was like, you know what? The CEO of BlackRock doesn't live in every single state where they have properties, yet he still manages those properties. And so one thing I tell people is, no matter the market that you're in, there's somebody in that market that does real estate. There's somebody in that market that does property management. There's a contractor in, there, in that market. There is a, a bird dog in that market. There are people in that market. You just gotta connect with them and you can do it through social media. So what I did, the very first thing I did was I found a mentor. I went on Facebook. I went into the Facebook group um, by Lisa Phillips which is sub $30,000 real estate investing because whether you guys know it or not, you can make a lot of money in sub $30,000 real estate and it's affordable. You can buy with the group and I have a tangent to go on buying with the group. But um, I found a mentor and I didn't find, just find any mentor. I found a qualified mentor. I found somebody who was doing, who owned a bunch of deals out there, who was knowledgeable in the area, who was also willing to work with me. You'd be surprised who's willing to work with you if you are somebody of value. And I think that that's why people have to realize like you can't just be a nobody and out here trying to find a mentor you can't just be somebody who's not already doing stuff and trying to find a mentor because a lot of people want a mentor to take them from zero to 100 not like 25 to 100 35 or 45 you got to bring value you got to bring deals you got to bring people that are working with you, you got to bring knowledge you need to really know what you're talking about you can't just be completely green because nobody wants to like carry you but they might push you along a little bit <laughs> Like you, you, you can't be a parasite to the host. Like you gotta right. be providing something to that person. Right. And if and if you approach them and they kind of brush you off, maybe that means you have some work to do, man. Maybe you need to listen to some podcasts. Maybe you gotta read a book. Maybe you gotta go to a conference. Maybe you need to keep continuing to hit them up. But like, don't just like hit them up and try to like hitch alongside of them. So we get it done through other people. And I think that that skill is truly valuable. So many of us know how to work for money. And a lot of people, they might own real estate, but they might actually be employees of their real estate company. And so just because you own real estate doesn't mean you're a boss. You're a boss if you do things through other people. And so being a real estate investor from out of state forced me to become a boss as opposed to just going over there, painting. Cause people, you can get really caught up in doing that. You can get caught up in mowing the lines. Like, oh, we gotta go mow the lines now. Oh, we got to go change the locks now like that's not how i want to do real estate and investing out of state allowed me to do it it was kind of unfair how it did it because it, it was no purpose 
I think that's huge. You you said investing in real estate instead of working in real estate. You know, you gotta learn how to invest and not sit there and try to work everything. Try to figure out how to work deals and work with people, so you're not hands on all the time. Mm-hmm. Do you have bad credit and minimum capital and want to get started in real estate? Hi, we're the Mobile Home and Lead Investors. Our e-course solves all of those problems by giving you all the strategies and secrets to become a successful mobile home investor. Tune in at www.mobilehomeeliteinvestors.com. Charles, you did say something, though. You said that you kind of want to go off on a tangent about... uh... Uh, investing. investing as a group yeah yeah so yeah do you think investing as a group is because i know you always say investing in business is a team sport do you think that's one of like the hacks to securing assets for our community not only not only is it the hack we're so far behind because that's how everybody else does it so think about it. it's like imagine if imagine if we're all in the nba and you're LeBron James. You're a great basketball player. <laughs> Shit, man. Nobody can touch you. But you're out there by yourself, trying to be power forward, playing against a team of five guys. And everybody's playing with the team. Right. Everybody's playing with the team. And you're like, nah, man, I'm a strong, independent basketball player who don't need no team. And so, like, you're going to lose by default. And I think that's one of the most frustrating thing about, and this is why I'm, I'm grateful for my experience in financial advising and in private banking and all that stuff, is because it allowed me to see how other people manage their money. It allowed me to see, because when you're in banking, I'm not sure if any of you guys have worked in banking, like you have, have access to everything. You log in, you enter this person's name, boom, checking account, savings account, line of credit, who they're connected to how much money is coming into their account, what they're getting paid to do. You literally see everything. And so I started to see like, okay, the Asian account, you got the dad who's connected to the mom, who's connected to the to the kids, and they're all just sharing money. They're all working together. They're all doing business together. And I mean, even in like, when I used to work for the private family office, which is for people who don't know, a family office is where you have this ultra high net worth individual or family, and then they all come under an office and manage their family wealth. They literally rent out an office, hire accountants, hire lawyers, and they're like, what are we gonna buy? What are we gonna invest in? What are we gonna develop? My mom is a CPA and she does a lot of tax returns for these partnerships, massive, massive partnerships. Um, One of her partnerships, it's a 200 member partnership, and they just go out and they just take on uh, apartment complexes and they buy plots of land that they're gonna eventually develop or sell to developers. And so I started realizing like, bro, like it's not an if, it's not a maybe, it's a wealth is a team sport. Therefore, if you're not in a team, you get no wealth. It's not a wealth might be a team sport. My wealth could be, no, it, it is period, point blank, that's it. And so if you're not in a team, you're not gonna get rich, period. You, lose. you can work as hard as you want. You can sacrifice as much as you want. You can learn as much as you want. If you're working as an individual, you're going to lose. And so a lot of people, they'll look at what we've done and they'll say, oh yeah, you own those properties. But yeah, there's a, a bunch of people in those deals. And I was like, bro, like you're going to have a partner anyway. Either the partner's going to be your community or it's going to be the other community through a bank. And so what you don't realize is, let's say, for example, we buy a property with debt. 
we have a hundred thousand dollar property. We have a loan on there. Mortgage is six hundred bucks a month, and we're profiting maybe two hundred, three hundred bucks a month. That six hundred bucks goes to their community every month. Your tenant is paying their community every single month. It doesn't just disappear because for the first fifteen years of that loan is all interest or ninety percent of the way interest. That's profit for them. And so what you don't realize is like, would you rather pay the bank or would you rather pay your community? And it's really like, it's a simple statement, but it means a lot because people overlook it. And I'm finding that there's a lot of really small, simple statements people overlook. Wealth comes when people give you money. And so if you're giving money to the bank, you're making them richer. They're making 600 bucks and you're making 200 bucks, but you get to say, I'm the owner. In a lot of instances, being the lender is better than being the owner. Because when I was working for the private bank, all we did was loans. We would loan out fat, fat money. And what you don't realize is a lot of it's fake money in the first place. So we <laughs> we buy like like fiat money. So you buy, or not fiat money, but um, so we buy an office building, take out a line of credit, and then we make loans to people with lines of credit, not even our own money. And so say for example, you have a line of credit for 4% and then you lend it out to somebody at 12%. You're making 8% just by being the lender, but it's not your money. So actually you're making a hundred, you're making an infinite return because you're making 8% on money that's not yours. And so I find that like people will see it and I always tell people like 50% of no deal or 50% of a good deal is better than 100% of no deal. 10% of a good deal is better than no percent of uh, of, of 100 of a good deal, and that's what really frustrates me is people would rather own 100 of nothing and call themselves the boss. They'd be 10 owner and something they would never access, like a barbershop. People are 10 owners in a barbershop, and I think that speaks volumes because it's like, how many of us can say we own a barbershop? How many of us can say that we own all these rental homes? And that's just that happened in one year. You did that in one year. Another benefit of working with a team is you can do a lot with a team a lot faster than you can ever do by yourself. Napoleon Hill has this quote. He says that in a mastermind group, you can do more in one year than you could ever do in your entire life working by yourself. And so, and we proved it. Who who do you know that owns seven doors? I don't know anybody with seven doors. I don't know a damn, nobody in my family has seven rental properties. And we did it in one year. And that's just one year. Now we're over here, we're working with people like HBCU Walsh, we're working with people like real bosses to really do real boss stuff. We're over here trying to actually improve the community. And that's why I love Detroit so much. And I want people to know this. In Detroit, everything's affordable. Not just the residential real estate. The office buildings are affordable. The warehouses are affordable. The commercial real estate's affordable. And so I'm looking at it as like, hey, what can we build here community-wise? How can we bring more of us into this community so we can own that loft building? We can own that WeWork. We can own that um, mixed-use facility. Like, I'm looking at it more as like, this is the new Black Mecca. How can we build the new Black Mecca? We build it by everybody coming in, working together, and developing one area instead of, oh, I'm over here in Philly. I'm over here in Chicago. I'm over here, like, that, sir, that doesn't serve us. So. You make just as much money working with a, a group as you will doing it on your own, and you do a lot more, a lot faster. Man, and I'm glad you brought up Detroit because I feel like it's some crazy stuff that's about to pop off just because of what Trump said about with the tariffs on New Mexico. And I feel like a lot of companies probably about to be coming back to Detroit, a lot of automakers. And since you're already investing in there, 
you're going to have a lot of people probably moving back to Detroit. So now you're about to reap the the benefits of that property value going up. And uh, I had told David that like last year, I was like, bro, I think Detroit is the wave, son. I was like, I think Detroit is the wave. Right. Um, Man, that's, I was talking to somebody about this yesterday and I was telling them like, it's not even just a real estate principle, it's an investment principle period. Like, all wise investing is all intelligent investing is value investing. What is value investing? Value investing is where you can buy something for 50 cents that's worth 75 cents. That is what value investing is, is you seeing that something is worth a lot more than what the market knows. So you have like market value and then you have intrinsic value. Intrinsic value is what it's actually worth. Market value is what you can buy it for. And so for me, I'm looking at what is this home actually worth? And so we've even gone so far as to actually start capping out single family homes. Most people won't do this. Most people won't apply the cap rate formula to a single family home, but I do. Because you can't really value these properties on the comps because there's not a lot of sales going when it's a renter's market out there. So the way I do it is I'm like, you can buy a $20,000 property. You can buy a $100,000 property for $20,000. That means you just made $80,000. And how I determine that value is I say, okay, well, let's look at the rents. We get $725 a month in rent. That's going to be like $80,000 for the year. At a 10% cap rate, that's an $80,000 value. So if somebody wants a 10% return on their money, they could take $80,000, buy something that costs 10 that gives you 10%, and then that's what it would be worth. But Detroit real estate gives you that, that, that yield for a fraction of the cost. And so, like I said, our ROI is like 60, 70%. It's very, very high because, I mean, we bought our first property for 17, but every property after that's been a better deal because now I have contacts. Now I know people. Now people are giving me deals because they know we can close. We're getting deals from my contractor getting these deals, which are way better deals because he knows he's going to get the work. So Detroit is such a huge opportunity, but it's only an opportunity if people don't know it's an opportunity. When people start seeing it as an opportunity, it might be a little too late. Yeah. So that's that's all I try to tell people. Like, you can't listen to the crowd, man. The crowd doesn't know. The crowd's just waiting to be told what to do. You got to move against the crowd. You got to you have to do the research and the knowledge, and you have to find that opportunity before Joe Blow knows it's an opportunity. Because at that point, he's already flipped it. He's trying to, right. It's not an opportunity anymore. And another thing is, don't underestimate the value of you, which is so important. And I realized this. I was like, you know what? Detroit might not be shit, but it might be some shit with Ty Millie in there. And so it's like, if I can bring Ty Millie to Detroit, I increase the value of Detroit. Compton might not be much, but it might be much with me there. Whatever inner city might not be much, but if you go there and if you provide your value, it's going to be worth something. And I think that that is what we can't overlook. We can't like just look at a market and say, oh, well, it's Detroit, blah, blah, blah. Like, no, like you go there, you be the sauce. You improve that community. You apply some creative thought to that community and you elevate that community by adding value. Yeah, don't be afraid to bet on yourself. Don't don't, don't, don't be afraid to understand your whole self-worth and what you can do to a community. You know, right. you, exactly. anybody can really hugely impact the whole community. It just depends on what value you're bringing to that community. Absolutely. And right. really, I think that's a real big problem in our community altogether. Like that, that, and I, that's one thing I loved about your podcast was that it shows so much was attainable. That like those examples, cause so many people really like just in our conversation with people 
uh, we talk about certain things like from an ownership perspective, from a, oh, I'm going to do this. And they're like, oh, yeah, man, but you know it's going to be hard because of this and it's going to be hard because of that. Or like like right. Jared always said, like people, we talk about getting rentals and stuff. We like in our early 20s. And like our people talk to us like it takes superpowers to get rentals. Like, like bro, it's, yeah. it's not that hard. Like I'm seeing people doing it. I can do this. Yeah. Right. right. And, and like how you say it, you are what you bring to the community. The community is so negative is because everybody's mindset is negative. Everybody is thinking you can't do it. If you're thinking that, you won't do it. You already lost. Uh, we had tweeted something. It was like, it was basically, if you don't have that focus and that will before you start, you already lost. You're not going to oh, win. Yeah. You got to have that championship mindset. You got to say, hey, I could do this. I don't care what it's going to take, but I'm going to make it done. And that's pretty much like our vision, our goal. I don't care if we don't see it in our lifetime. We put that first step forward and we're going to make it happen. Like we're going to be the people who you might step on our back to make it happen. I want to launch the next generation. I want to help catapult them there. Like it's got to be that. Right. The mentality of keep, keeping people from the started is one of the worst. Because I always tell people, like, you never really know what you're going to end up doing, where you'll start off trying to invest in one market and it might not work and that'll lead you to another market. And so I think that one of the worst things is they'll just, they don't even allow us to try. And like, that's one of my most frustrating things is like people will say, oh, well, you can't because it's hard, which again, a tangent in itself. I think we need to start focusing on doing the hard stuff, only the hard stuff, like the easy stuff takes care of yourself, man. And another thing is rental property management is not that difficult. It's really not that hard, but it was made to be, it was made to seem as though it was difficult. Another thing we do is I manage all the rentals from out of state from my cell phone. So at one point in time, when the rehab, when the, when the repairs are very intensive, I was on my phone more, I had to get a handyman on call. And so he would always be on call to go and do the deals. Now I don't really have that many, any, that many issues. I might get a call once or twice a month. And if that happens, a lot of times, I haven't just called the contractor directly, called the, called the handyman directly. Don't even call me, just call him. He's gonna do the work anyway. He'll just send me a bill. Um, so that's one thing, but right. I, I feel like we gotta get out of that it can't be done mentality. We gotta get out of it's too hard mentality. You gotta get out of the playing it safe mentality. Even if you have to stop talking to folks, like sometimes you just gotta shut up and grind. Sometimes you, you can't tell your mom cause you already know she's gonna be like, no, it's, it's, it's hard, it's expensive, it's this, it's that. And it's like Eric Thomas said, it's like his mom never understood, but she works for him now. My mom never really understood what I was doing, but she in essence works for me now. She's gonna continue as this thing grows to work for me even more. And I think that I just want us to be more of a community of doers and not a community of talking about what needs to be done. Because everybody wants to discuss the problem. Everybody wants to identify the problem. Everybody wants to put the onus of solving the problem on other people. But like I said, wealth comes from solving problems. Nobody's solving your problems for free. I don't care if they're black, white, Puerto Rican or Asian. Nobody is solving your problems for free. If they're providing affordable housing, they're making money providing affordable housing. If they're providing jobs, they're making money providing jobs. If they're giving you a livable wage, they're making money to give you a livable wage. So like I said, cut out the middleman and become that person because that's where the power is. The power is like, oh, 
I'm the person who provided these these buildings for these people. I'm the person who provided these jobs. I'm the person who provided this diversity they wanted so much. That's where the legacy is. The legacy's in the hard stuff. The legacy's in the solving problems. And if we can get more people to just be out there solving problems, doing stuff, being fearless, we'd have a much more productive and successful community. Yeah, man. Man, that, that's solving problems versus talking about the problems. That's so major. It, it kind of, uh, you said something that made me think about something you had put on Black of Pockets, uh, the moving in silence with the clown. I thought that <laughs> shit was hilarious because that's like so many people yeah. in the community. Like, I'm moving in silence, but you all on Instagram talking about it. Like, you're telling me your mood. <laughs> yeah, that was kind of funny. That was hilarious. I'm glad you brought up Black of Pockets, though. Like, how did that come about, man? Like, what created you to create this monster? Like, <laughs> um, it's so funny. I have this conversation with Rashana Scott all the time, and I tell her that I just do stuff, man. I don't, I don't do too much planning and talking. I just do, and I let the planning and talking support the do, because I feel like that's where the true value is. Is you don't get solutions by planning; you get solutions by doing. And so for me, we had talked about it for so long. Like I'd been on different things where I was talking to like uh, Kendra Scott, talking to all these different people, not Kendra Scott, Kendra uh, Barnes, talking to a lot of people and it all came up like, hey, we need a platform that educated educates people on how to invest in real estate, but more specifically how to successfully invest in the inner city. And so we talked about it and I was like, bro, like it's very needed. Like, let's just do it. Let's create a logo. Let's get it out there and let's promote it. And I didn't expect it to blow up the way it blew up. Like, it's just it's nuts because people need it. It's a need. That's another thing. It's like problems and needs are kind of like synonymous. Like, there's a problem, lack of education on investing in the inner city, misinformation about investing in the inner city as well. Kind of like the whole murder property. Like, the murder property is what you need to buy, not run away from. And so we just figured it's, a, it's another way to provide value. I always lead with the value, value at scale, which I think is very important. And so we're just trying to educate and give back to the community, knowing we're going to catch the equity on the back end, knowing we're just going to build in that equity in the back end. You want that footprint. You want something big that's going to allow you an audience. And we do that by giving value. So it really was just like, let's do, let's get it out there. But what I found is the community wins when you have a bunch of voices. It can't just be the Charles pockets. It can't just be Charles's view on real estate because I, I live in California. I invest long distance. There might be somebody in Houston making great money. Might be somebody in Florida making great money. So we have to give them a platform to speak as well. So part of it is giving somebody else to shine, not being the person that has to get all the glory. And you realize it's kind of like the record label kind of strategy is they make you look good and they get paid kind of like the NBA basketball owner. Like they make they make LeBron into a star and they get paid. So my goal with Blacker Pockets, and it's not to get paid, my goal is more awareness of people who are doing what needs to be done. People who are doing what people say you can't do. People who are doing what people say is too hard. So I want you to see people buying homes. And I want to subconsciously program you to think black people buy homes, black people invest in real estate, black people own land, black people do all this stuff. Because if I can, beat you over the head with it over and over and over again, you're going to start thinking it's possible for you. It, it works. It's like it's like the rap music. It's like real estate rap. <laughs> Thank you. I want to just say, hey, if you're not following Blacker Pockets on Instagram, please hit the follow button at Blacker Pockets, man. They got a lot of cool trips and tips on how to invest in real estate, man. Yeah. 
Yeah. Also, man, just another shout out to you. Because whenever we very first started this thing, man, you shouted us out on Black Apocalypse. I thought that was like, <laughs> yeah, man. Like, we were just, we just kind of on the same thing with you. Like, we had talked about it for a while. And we were just like, we're going to start it. And then, boom. Like, it just, it, it took off from there. It's like. And, and I like yeah. how you had said, you know, just getting started. You might not go into that same market that you think you started in. Me and him started in, like, we were trying to wholesale for the longest, but we got the attitude of being action takers and just going out and doing it. So once this did come along, you could just go ahead and do it. You don't have to figure and worry about, oh man, how am I going to get started? You're used to being an action taker. So just take a step and you never know where you're going to land. Right. And I like what you said about having a team. Because Blackwell Renaissance wouldn't be nothing without all four of us, you know? Yeah. It, it's something that I can't run it by myself. I don't think Jalen or Burman can run it by themselves. It's something, or Jared, it's something that we all have to do as a collective for it to yeah. run smoothly. We tried to do shit by ourselves. Didn't work. <laughs> Very difficult. One of the things I think is so interesting is I tell people, like, if you look at companies like Google, Facebook, all these great companies, it's not just like one NBA who's like, I made it, I got an NBA, I'm gonna start this company. It's like teams of NBAs, teams of engineers, teams of lawyers, like, and we're out there competing against that as individuals. You're, you're just bound to get destroyed. So it's like, there's so much money out there that to think that you have to be the only person making money, you're limiting yourself. I know of a business in Watts who everything runs through the owner and that's why they have lo one location. But if you were to expand your mind and think like, hey, Everybody loves McDonald's fries. So, yes, you accused your mom of stealing some of your fries on the way home. Um, but the bag did feel a little light. Ba -da -ba -ba -ba. Let me allow somebody else to make some money here, and maybe I can do well. And that's one of the things that we do. I actually make the, less, the least amount of money on the property, but I make money in other ways because as it scales, even though I make less money, I make money on the collective growth of the company. And not only that, I'm also getting the skill set, the experience, the wisdom, the connections, and that's worth money as well. So, um, right, I think the, the team approach, working together as a team, is the hack. And there's nothing that you can't do with a team, even if you're family. Like, I think that's one of the worst things is our families will say like, oh, well, I can't, I can't do business with him because blah, blah, blah. Right. But then you go to your job and you're working with somebody you hate. Exactly. Who doesn't have the same last name as you? Exactly. So it's like, so it's okay to go work with him because you have to, but it's not okay to go work with your family who might have a little bit of problems, but they got problems too. They're not perfect. You hate them. You go home and talk bad about them. So it's like, if you're going to work with somebody you talk bad about, at least have them have the same last name as you, the same skin color as you, bro. Like, <laughs> That's the least you can do. <laughs> But uh, Charles, man, with the whole team thing and the investment club, which I am a part of, by the way, super dope. That's cool. Uh, like, how did you get into doing all of that? And like, could you kind of give people insight on how you start an investment club? That's a good question. How do you start an investment club? How you do it now is a lot easier than when I started it. When we first started it, it was Mickey Mouse, but like I said, I, I take action and then I figure out how to make it fancy later, get started, get fancy later. And so when we first started it, it was like, hey, this is the business PayPal. Hey, this is the business Venmo. Hey, this is the business Cash App. And I created this huge spreadsheet with everybody's name, 
and had a month where it showed what you invested per month. And then we use this online platform called Vivio to track everything so people could access the investments online. Vivio matched up with our Scott Trade account at the time, which is now TD Ameritrade. And so people could always see how much equity they had. They could see what stocks we own, how well they were doing and stuff like that. And it was kind of like Facebook. You have a login, username, password, and it, it worked kind of cool like that. But the problem is I was stuck in the middle of doing everything. Now you can use an app called Vallejo. You literally go in, you need one person to become the club sponsor, and then you just start sending out links. Like, hey, here's a link to my investment club. And then they can go in, they contribute money directly to the app. They can pull money directly from the app. They vote on their investments through the app. Um, they discuss investment through the app. It, it kind of took that whole Mickey Mouse package that we had and wrapped it into something that just like does all the work for us. Because another thing we would have to do is we'd have to have monthly votes. And so we'd say, hey, we're having a conference call. We're gonna talk about the investments this week and we're gonna de determine what we're gonna buy. And so we did that and now it's just like way easier. But I feel like the reason why I was able to grow that club so fast is because I'm always pushing out value. I'm always talking about stocks, always talking about real estate, always talking about investing, always talking about ownership. And people were drawn to that. They're like, I wanna see what this guy's doing. I wanna participate, I wanna become involved. So like, yeah, starting an investment club is, is doable, but you also gotta make sure that you are providing value to the community nonstop. And that's why that necktie company didn't work is because it wasn't my lane. And I always tell people like, you gotta stay in your lane, dominate your lane. Like, yeah, they say do something you love. Like, I don't know if I really love it, but it's my lane. It's where I have the most education, the most experience, the most knowledge. And so it allows me to 10X and do so many things off of that lane. And so if you have a lane and you stay in your lane, you can have a blog, you can have a podcast, you can have social media that's all intertwined. You can have everything that works together and you're gonna win because for me, in my lane, I can do things of value that I don't have to charge for. So I would just say that, um, man, starting the investment club, we don't really market it because you're not supposed to really market the investment club. And so people just kind of who know of me join the investment club, but I'm not putting out ads like join the investment club. It's like, hey, I just happen to have an investment club. If you know me and you want to become a part of that community, then great. So that's kind of how we did it. And if you guys did, I think that'd be really cool. Hey man, that's something for us to look at. We want to get more proficient in stocks ourselves, though. Like that's that's something that, like, stock investing is something we just getting started all in our journeys on. Because you you trade stocks pretty well. You did well with the stock market last year, didn't you? I last year, I, I, last year my ROI was nuts. I, I, I don't even know what it was. It was like a thousand percent. I was <laughs> killing it. We did very well last year in, in the stock market. But so, I was trading a lot of options. Do you do short-term returns or? Uh, last year I was because the market was given the short-term swings. Now the market's kind of nuts. Um, I have no idea what the stock market's doing right now. So I'm actually liquid. I'm in all cash right now. I don't think nobody um, knows what doing right, right now. <laughs> right. Um, because it's it not, not so much that it's so volatile, but also because it's so high. Again, I'm a value investor. And so at that point in the market, I saw a lot of value. I saw a lot of companies that were off of their 52 week highs. I saw a lot of companies that weren't hitting 52 week or weren't hitting all time highs. And I think that's important because if you look at a stock where it's been, and then you look at where it is presently, if it's gone high and then it goes low, usually that means that it could potentially go high again. Usually it means that it's familiar with that territory and it might even go through. We're at a point in the market now where the Stocks are just bumping the highs, bumping the highs, bumping the highs. And unfortunately, 
that just means that there's really only one place to go but down. It might go back up eventually, but it's likely going to go down first. So I don't want to be the person that's in there when it's going down. I've been that guy. When I first started investing in stocks, I bought what people told me to buy. And this is how, like, again, no wasted experience and it all relates. And so I would I would look at stocks and I'll say, oh man, Netflix is popping. I need to buy some Netflix. Um, I'll buy Netflix and it will correct against me. And so then what I was doing, I was like, you know what, that doesn't work. Let me just try the opposite. Let me just see if I just buy what sucks and see if that works. And so I did that. And typically what happens is when something's going low, it might overcorrect. And so if you have a company that's getting bad press, people are gonna overreact. They're gonna bash the stock more than it should be bashed. And that provides a buying opportunity. Even if it doesn't go back to where the stock was once, if it goes back almost higher, you're still making profit. And so I started buying the bad news and selling the good news as opposed to buying the good news and selling the bad news, which is what most people do. Buy low, sell high is actually a lot more difficult than people think. Because when you're buying low, you're buying Detroit. People are saying, don't buy Detroit. If you buy high, you're buying Los Angeles multifamily property when everybody's saying multifamily is lit, multifamily is where you got to go. You got to be in multifamily. And those are going to be what that lose because they're buying the stock when people are telling them to buy. You are somebody's exit strategy at that point. I feel like a lot of investing is common sense. It's kind of like I was watching Don Peoples. If you guys don't know who Don Peoples is, you should definitely find out. He's written two books, People's Principles and another one, both really good. But his, his first one talks about how he made it in real estate as an African-American man. He looks kind of Caucasian, but he's still black. Um, and he was saying like, it's common sense. If you walk around, you see all this construction and you see all these unaffordable rents, and you see all these vacancies, that's, a, that's not a good sign. And so for me, I just knew it wasn't a good sign, but I know that the market is so unrealistic right now with the valuations that it doesn't prevent an opportunity either. And so California is nuts. A lot of people are leaving California. If you look at the migration numbers, like a lot of people are leaving California. You can't look at the net migration because people move in, people move out. I'm looking at who's leaving, period. Because if a half million people are leaving, then that means that a half million people are pissed off and fed up with this state. People might be coming in, but a lot of those like tech skews the state where people were looking at the state and they're saying, oh, well, uh, the income makes sense or, oh, the value is, values make sense, but we're looking at the average in, in a lot of ways, North, Ca North California and South California are two different states. So for me, it comes from experience and learning the values. It's not enough. And this is why the asset conversation is great, but we gotta be intelligent asset and, and uh, intelligent investors. So we gotta know the value of what we're buying. We don't just wanna buy something just because they said buy it. And I think that that's a very conversation to be a very important conversation that we need to be having is how do you determine if something's worth buying? How, you, how do you determine the valuation? How do you determine the cap? How do you determine the value based off of the return? And I think that's a very it's, it's important because I don't want people. This isn't the first time it's happened. I always tell people that uh, during George Bush, there's a lot of African-American home ownership, a lot. People own multiple homes. A lot of people were in homes and we lost those homes, not because we weren't doing the right things, but because we weren't intelligent in how we were doing those things. So just because you own a home, if you overpay for that home, it could be a liability and it could ruin your life. You can go bankrupt, you could lose everything you have if you don't buy it right, if you aren't intelligent and strategic about how you buy it. I think that you have to play both offense and defense at the same time. So you gotta buy something, but you also have to know how you're gonna protect it at the same time. Um. I want to move into another point with you, though. Uh, we always see that you're talking about marriage being like one of the keys to 
being financially free and just being successful like right this can you just give us a little bit of your view of and why you say that yeah man um so my parents got married got divorced and my and my mom remarried and um my dad got remarried and, re- and divorced again and one of the things that I always told myself is I don't want to be in a position where I'm paying child support. I want to live in the same house as my children. And a big part of the reason is because it's very difficult. If you're a man paying child support, you're basically a man taking care of two households. If you're a man taking care of two households, you have no excess cash to save and invest. That's the first point. The second point is that I've also seen marriage transform people, people's lives. So my mom, when she was single, she was out there, she was hustling, she was doing the single mom thing, she became a CPA. And then our life was cool, but when her and my stepdad got together, our life elevated substantially. And I was like, nothing changed, they just got married. They got married, both got new cars, we got a better house, ultimately got a better, better house. And I was like, there must be something to this marriage stuff, because my dad is out here single again, and he's taking care of three households and that well yeah three households because it was still paying child support my sister on my stepbrother and then also taking care of his household and i was like bro like it doesn't make sense from a numbers standpoint not even from a philosophical oh marriage is this is that like nah like numbers bro like if you are paying if you live in the same house with your kids and you are paying the same mortgage that you'd be paying if you live by yourself that's child support you're supporting that child. They have a room, they have food, but if you split up that that unit, now you're doing double time. There's no wealth accumulation there. There's no anything there. You're just barely getting by. And, and so that's one point. But the other is I started looking at a lot of successful people. What I do is I study successful people. Anytime I hear of like an NFL player or NFL team owner, or like an NBA team owner or a baseball team owner, I'm like, I need to Google this person, wiki this person, find out exactly what he did. And I kind of backtracked that to my life. I was like, am I doing what he's doing? Am I investing in real estate? Am I blah, 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 blah? Do I have the right education? Because I kept seeing a lot of these guys were lawyers. I was like, hmm, maybe I need to make sure I need to get this law degree thing taken care of. But I noticed that a lot of successful people are married. Almost like 90% of the millionaires are married. And I thought that like, there must be something to that. I always knew that I was going to get married. Um, my wife and I have been dating for a long, long time before we got married, but we did it. And there's certain hidden things that come to a married person. The Bible says it. It's like when a man finds a wife, he obtains favor from the Lord. And so you don't realize it, but like there's certain things that start coming to you and opportunities and promotions and things that come to you. And it's not even like on some like spiritual stuff as much as it's like you just people look at you a different way. You become a resource. You become more solid. You become more dependable. You become less of a risk because you're not out there running the streets trying to get anything and everything. They know like my focus is my work, period. And the work is what sets you free. And so if you were locked into a marriage where she expects certain things, you go out there, you're getting it seven days a week, 12 hours, 14 hours a day. And certain things accrue to the person who's doing those things. Success comes to the person who's doing those things. It's very difficult to achieve success. I saw this post um, that Prince Donnell put out about um, having a side chick. And he was like, yeah, if you have a side chick, it costs you money, it costs you time, it costs you focus. And I was like, I think the same is true if you're single. Because if you're single and you're dating more than one woman, you effectively have a side chick. Mm -hmm. You effectively have all your energy, all your money invested in places that are outside of you where you don't have that focus. You don't have that, that, that ground. You need to be grounded in a sense. 
So it's it's so much, but I've just seen how my life has improved after marriage. I've seen how my focus has improved after marriage. I've seen how all these things have come into my life just by committing to one woman. And it's hard on the Instagram life, man, because it's a lot of, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but I think you're true, like, about the grounded part, man. Like, that's the reason why I chose a girl that I'm currently with, man. Like, I was out, whenever I was in college, like, I was out hoeing, tricking and stuff. But once I ran across her, like, she grounded me. Like, I ain't gonna lie, my grades was sucking and stuff. But once I actually started talking to her and stuff, that's when I was like, okay, I need to get my shit together. I need to get myself together because I pictured something and she helped ground me. So I was like, yeah, this is what this is what I need. And I see her as my future wife. Right. I feel like a lot of people have this whole, like, I don't need no woman. Or, I don't need no man. But I think that's a lie. We all need each other. Like she brings things that I could never bring. No matter how hard I try to cook, no matter how hard I try to do whatever, like you'll never be a woman. No matter how hard a single woman tries, she'll never be a man. There's just certain things you cannot do and you need the other person for. And it's it's okay. It's okay to need somebody. And there's there's true value in actually having that in your life. And I think that's, that's that picture is just created by our society that you need. Oh, I don't need anybody. I can do this all independently. If that was the reason, nature wouldn't have had. We wouldn't have a male and a female. Like it wouldn't that, take both of yeah. us to make a, another life. <laughs> yeah, like that. That's crazy. And it doesn't make you less of a person to need something. It actually allows you to be more of what you truly are. Mm-hmm. So, especially like with like women out there who are trying to be a man and a woman. It allows you to be 100% woman. You can never, I feel like, truly be 100% mom if you're trying to be both mom and dad. You can never be as successful as you're supposed to be as a man if you don't have that woman alongside of you. There's a reason why I always tell people, there's a reason why the first thing they did when they brought slaves over is they broke up the family unit. They're like, F this family unit, y'all gonna be out here struggling individually. Because that family, is the base of all the wealth. People say real estate is the foundation of wealth. I think that marriage is the foundation of wealth. And I'll tell you why. If you make money, but you aren't married, you have no legacy. You have nothing to pass down. If you make money and you have a bunch of women who have access to your money, you don't have as much of an impact with your legacy. You are divided. You have money going all these different places to all these different baby mamas, to all these different people we had outside of your marriage. And so you got to establish the base. It's kind of like when you start looking at that pyramid of, of like wealth building, you have like life insurance, then you have your savings, then you have um, like real estate, then you have your stocks at the top so you can take some risk with stock. I think that you got to have family, then you got to own your own home, then you got to start having your retirement set up, then you have to start having all these different things. But marriage has to play a part. Like I see people struggle and it's only because they're unwilling to get married. But one of the things that I think people are unwilling to get married is they don't want to put the work in and they don't want to change. They think that I'm good as is, I don't need to change. And that's a lie because you don't even know what you're missing out on. Like for me, I worked hard, but when I actually have a wife, I'm like, it's 10X. And I thought I worked hard. I've always been a hard worker, but there's another level that you can pull out of you when you have somebody challenge you and tell you like, nah, bro, like I need all this stuff paid for. I need you to take care of this whole house by yourself. And you're like, damn, I can't do that. I thought I couldn't do that. It's like, no, like you can, 
if you have the proper motivation, if you have the willingness to change, I think that that's what we're missing out on, but we're also missing out on our destiny by not being willing to be stretched, be changed, be challenged. And that's what a marriage is gonna do to you. It's gonna, it's gonna push you, it's not easy, it is work. And I think that one thing I tell people is it's work, but work is the savior. On the other side of work is the reward that you want. So if you don't have what you want out of life financially, you might need to do some work in it. That work might need to be on yourself. Mm. I like that. I think that that's what we're missing out on, but we're also missing out on our destiny by not being willing to be stretched, be changed, be challenged. And that's what a marriage is gonna do to you. It's gonna, it's gonna push you, it's not easy, it is work. And I think that one thing I tell people is, it's work, but work is the savior. On the other side of work is the reward that you want. So if you don't have what you want out of life financially, you might need to do some work in it. That work might need to be on yourself. Mm. That's a bar right there. Dropping weed. <laughs> <laughs> I only I only have like five more minutes. I gotta be on the road in like thirty yeah. minutes. Yeah, you speaking at a uh, at your alma mater today, right? Right. And they they contacted me. I have a friend who actually started a company, and it's called Oddballs. And so he is bringing back a few people. I've been offered to go back and speak a few times. This just happened to fit with my schedule because it's a Sunday morning. So it's tough to do that stuff on like a Thursday or a Tuesday. Yeah. Sure, man. Well. Uh... I don't think we got anything else. Um, okay, one one more thing. We do what's on your timeline. What's something that you saw, seen on your uh, timeline recently or anything that was impactful for you? And then after that, we're just going to let you get up hey, out of here. Is there anything you want to make a comment on, man? Man. Um, one of the things that I like is C.J. Johnson. I'm not sure if you guys know him. Yeah, Chris Johnson. Chris Johnson. Yeah. yeah. He... He always posts like just a new way of thinking about money where instead of trading your time for money, you start trading products for money. And so he'll break it down and, and he'll say like, oh, if you need to pay for it, if you need to, I forget how he does it, but it'll say basically like you can make $100,000 by selling a $10 product to 100 people or to 1,000 people or 100,000 people. And I like that mindset shift. He posted something about a candle box and he said, that you can basically go trade your time to pay your rent or you can buy a $1 candle and you can sell it for $5 or package it and sell it in a, a bundle for 26 bucks. And I like that. That's one of the things that I want to get into, but I'm still trying to figure out how I can fit it into my lane because it has to fit into my lane. I can't be out here selling candles. Be all over the place. <laughs> right, right. So that's one thing that I like. I, I honestly, I really only follow people who are about that business. So. Um, people who are in real estate, people who are in their own business, people who are investing, people who are doing stuff like that. That's where my timeline kind of sits. Um, so anything I'd ever talk about would have to be, I mean, Jay Morrison related, um, Andre Hatch related, Erica Williams related, that kind of stuff. Gary V, Grant Cardone, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Well, Charles, man, where can the people find you? Where they can, where they can reach you? Know, <laughs> get the information about the investment club. Join that. The main website is www.capitaltie.com. You can also find the store, which is www.gumroad.com backslash tie capital. Um, if you have any questions, you can email me at charles at capitaltie.com. I'm on Instagram at Todd Millionaire, Twitter at Todd Millionaire, Facebook, Charles Oglesby. Uh, yeah, also check out the podcast um, that can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, and YouTube. 
uh, they have to spell out the whole name, which is Ty Capital Millionaire Podcast. Sure, man. Well, we appreciate you coming on the show, dropping some knowledge, some gems, bro. Uh, we know you got to go, so we're not going to hold you up too much longer. Uh, we just want to say thank you, everybody who listens to the podcast. We appreciate y'all for always tuning in. Make sure y'all go check out our website, www.blackwealthrenaissance.com. We got some great resources on there for you guys. Um, we got courses up there. Yeah. Um, we got way able to, yeah, we able to connect you to realtors if you're looking for to purchase a house. We got um, calculators. We got debt calculators, budget calculators. Um, mortgage calculators just go look at our website man we got a lot of free free tools and resources for you guys and we're gonna nice. plug everything from the show for relating to Tide today in the show notes so be able be sure to check that out um and once again thank y'all for listening and for continuing to help us grow uh this is Black Wealth Renaissance signing out peace <laughs>